0: How to Pray for Believers. So as we look at this example from Paul of his prayer for the believers at the church at Philippi, let's stop and pray for just a moment and ask the Lord to bless us and help us today. Father, the disciples came to Christ at one point in his ministry and requested that he might teach them to pray. And, Lord, as we approach this passage today, that's our prayer. That's our request that you would help us to pray. You would teach us how to pray, that you would motivate us and urge us in prayer today. That we would be informed in our prayers, that we would be excited and moved in our prayers, that our prayers would be urgent, our prayers would be constant, and our prayers would be directed and focused and specific Lord, help us to be a, a praying people as we enter this Thanksgiving season and being reminded of all the good things that you've done for us. Father, allow that to uh, move us to, to prayer. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today and would you grow us in our walk with you today today? in this most precious gift that we've been given, the the opportunity to bow our heads and actually commune with the God of the universe, and to know that you watch and to know that you are our Father in Christ and that that we know that you are sovereign, we know that you are already working, and Father, all of the things that we already know when we bow before you in Prayer. So, Lord, we just ask you to help us, speak to us, change us, accomplish the things in our hearts that each and every one of us need. And we do need. And we're going to be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all of it in Christ's name. Amen. Notice with me again as we started walking through the book of Philippians. Notice with me back in verse uh, 3 and 4. Again, last week we looked at Paul's thanksgiving. That's connected with verse 3. I thank my my God and all my remembrance of you. And then in verse 4 he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you. And then that's the connection with verses 9, 10, and 11. This is Paul's prayer Before we get into kind of walking through what Paul does pray for the believers, just by a note of introduction, we we probably should note what is not in Paul's prayer for these believers. Notice with me in in verses, as Kathy read our scripture this morning, in, in verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul does not pray for a list of people with various illnesses. He doesn't pray for a financial breakthrough. He doesn't pray for safety for those who might be in harm's way. He doesn't pray for traveling mercies as people are coming and going. Now, listen carefully. There is nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. That's not my point. In fact, any of us who face an illness or who face a sickness, we are grateful for everyone and everyone who prays for us in every prayer that's lifted to the Lord. Myself would be included in that. John, in Third John verse 2, prays that Gaius may be in good health. So something was going on there with that brother, and he was praying for his health. So, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. However, if those are the only types of prayers that we pray, it might be indicative that we've kind of lost an eternal perspective, that our our dominant concern and our, our overriding concern, the majority of our prayer life is spent on temporal matters and not on the matters of eternity. When we only pray for temporal blessings, we, we, and, and we fail to pray for eternal matters, we're, we're really missing the power and the purpose of prayer. What prayer is most concerned with It's interesting that the prayers that we find in the New Testament are are dominated with a focus on spiritual issues. They do briefly mention earthly, temporal, physical issues, but they are dominated with spiritual issues. And sometimes our prayer lives, myself included, are the reverse. Dominated with temporal earthly physical issues briefly mentioned spiritual issues You see our prayer life reflects the burdens that we carry You pray for what's on your heart You pray about the things that you are concerned about you pray about the things that that you have a burden for and we definitely need the ministry of prayer in our lives and in our day. We need fervent prayer for unsaved friends and family members. We need intercessory prayer for broken relationships and marriages. We need burdened prayers for those who are choosing sin over the Savior We need tear-drenched prayer for revival concerning the moral decay in our culture. We need God-sized prayers for gospel advancement around the world in our community. We need earnest prayer for one another to be able to be steadfast and, and stand sure and consistent in the truth without wavering and compromising and giving in. You see, battles are waged and won in the spiritual realm when we are on our knees in prayer. We're very active. We're very busy people. Our schedules are packed. Our days are packed. Our routines are packed. Our time is stretched. And yet, it's difficult to pray. Paul's prayer for the believers in Philippi teaches us how to pray. How to pray for believers. How to pray for one another. And if this is how you pray for a believer, then this is how we pray for ourselves as believers so let's look at Paul's prayer in that way. How can we learn from how Paul prayed to the things that we truly need and, and need to be praying for, for the help of one another? First of all, notice in the very first part of verse 9, Paul is he's concentrating on their great need, their great need. Paul says, and, and it is my prayer... So, there's a singular focus here, isn't there? It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul prays for them. His prayer for them is that their love may abound more and more. Now, this is a surprising request. It's surprising because, remember, we studied last week, he's just given thanks for how God's Grace is so evident in their lives that they are such a generous, giving, supporting people, being gospel partners in the gospel advancement ministry of Paul since day one. I mean, if anyone has demonstrated love for the brotherhood and love for the gospel, it's this church. The church at Philippi is not only a church that loves, but they, they love the most important things. But sometimes our strength can be our weakness, can it? And notice, Paul is not saying that they have no love. He's saying, I, I pray that your love may abound. That the love that you have may, may grow, that it may flourish that it may be overabundant. He, he's praying that their love may, the love that is evident in them may be explosive and overflowing. You see, that's even a little lesson for us there in, the, in, in our spiritual walk. When, when we are growing, when we can, when we can tell that God has is, is blessed us and we are growing and we're moving forward in one area of our Christian life, there's always room to grow more. There's never a point at which we reach the top, we reach the ceiling and say, okay, the, all that's taken care of, now let's focus on something else. No, there's always another step to take. In every area of our Christian life there's always room to grow there's always a need to grow and as you read through the book of Philippians Paul gives us at least three areas mentioned in this book where there will need to be a love that's abounding more and more remember we mentioned last week from chapter 4 verse 2 that there seems to be a major conflict between two members of the church, Iodia and Centecae. So there's gonna there's some friction that needs to be smoothed. There's some reconciliation that needs to take place to overcome the conflict and confrontation, and that's going to require abounding love, not just a general, generalized love, an abounding love it takes love to get over our differences it takes love to see past one another's flaws and faults we all have them we all have difficulties we all have quirks we all have faults it takes love to get past those things it takes love to live in unity and harmony love covers a multitude of sin It's going to take a lot of abounding in love for this conflict to be resolved and reconciliation to take place. Look with me in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Here's another area. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, so he's calling for unity. Having the same love, again, he's calling for that love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself." Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We all have, each and every one of us, as human beings, fallen and sinful. We all have an insatiable desire, a constant desire, to get what we want, to be pleased To have our way, to demand our preferences. Abounding love is necessary. It is absolutely required to overcome our selfishness, to look to the greater good for all, to look for the needs of others, to put others in front of ourselves. To consider the interest of others as more important than our interest, that requires abounding love. Love, it it requires love for us to get past our differences and it requires love to get past our preferences. And then in chapter 2, if you drop down just a little bit further, in verses 14 and 15, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, our selfishness, it's evidenced when we grumble and complain. Now, I know none of you grumble and complain. But every once in a while, I grumble and complain. And when I grumble and complain, it indicates to me I'm being very selfish. I'm being very inward. You see, selfishness produces grumbling and complaining. I'm going to complain about this because I'm not getting what I want or I prefer or I would like to do humility though produces harmony but it takes abounding love doesn't it it requires abounding love you see Paul is not just praying for some good good spiritual language to pray for oh love would be a good thing to pray for no Paul is praying for abounding love because we absolutely need it we have to have it it takes abounding love more and more for one another to silence our complaining about one another. Because when we're complaining, we're not complaining about ourselves, are we? The cure for grumbling is to serve. The cure for grumbling is to to look after the needs of others, but that requires love. So love will always be in great need. Love is the great commandments. Love God and love others. Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. That's a great way, church, to pray for one another. How how do I pray? How how do I pray for my church family? How do I pray for my uh, believing members of my family? How how do I pray for Christians? Here's a good place for us to start, that our love may abound more and more. And that's an excellent way, would be an excellent way for us to pray for ourselves, wouldn't it? You know 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. It describes it describes true love, God's pattern for love. You know, it says things that love is patient, love is kind, that, that love is not irritable, that love doesn't seek its own, it's not envious, it's not jealous, it, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, it goes it goes on and on. One of the things that that I've done recently in my own prayer journal, is I've, I've written all those descriptions out of 1 Corinthians 13. And when I pray for myself, I read through those things, and then I pray, God, help me to love like that. Help me to love like that in a patient way, in a kind way, in a not irritable way, in a not seek its, seeks its own way. Paul prays we can learn from this can't we how to pray for ourselves, how to pray for one another how love is really a great need there's a difference by the way of being kind and courteous and being loving you can fake kind and courteous you can't fake loving But we're even getting to a day in our society, right, that we've even lost the ability to be kind and courteous. We need love. We need love, but it has to be true, biblical love. And that's exactly what Paul says. So he's praying for their great need, but secondly, he prays for the proper qualities that's the second part of verse 9. Look with me. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And then he qualifies it with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul says, as your love abounds, it needs to do so with knowledge. You see, our love has to be defined. Love needs to be defined. The world says love is love. The Bible says God is love. Those are two vastly different definitions. The world says all you need for love is love. The Bible says all you need for love is God. If it is to be true love, it needs guidance. Love needs guidance and boundaries. Love is not a free fall with no restrictions. Love is a roadway, and God's word is our direction and road sign. Love needs more than the heart to guide it. Love needs more than the heart to guide it. Sometimes the heart says, go! Like forbidden love, what the Bible forbids. There there are loves that are forbidden. There are expressions of love that are forbidden. That are not love. And I'm not just speaking of homosexuality. We have our own heterosexuality problems with love. Premarital sex is not love. So sometimes the heart says, go! And the Bible says, stop! And sometimes the heart says stop cuz that person is your enemy. But the Bible says go. Go. You see we have to be we ha- love needs to be defined. It must be guided. Now, if you have knowledge without love, all you have is pride. If you have love without knowledge, it leads to lust. Our love toward God and our love toward others needs to be an informed love. That's what Paul is saying. May your love abound more and more with knowledge. In other words, you have to inform your love. It needs to be an informed love by sacred, holy scripture. That's the knowledge he's talking about. You see, we can't properly love God if we don't know him. If we don't know who God is and know what he's like and know how he thinks and know how how he moves, then we won't be loving God, the true God. We'll be loving a God that we've made up. That's an easy one to love because he looks a lot like us. If we don't know God, we can't properly love him and we come to know him through his revealed word. That's what the Bible is, divine self-disclosure. God is saying, this is who I am. In the beginning, God And we can't properly love others if we don't know how we should love others. And we come to know how to rightly, truly love others through God's revealed Word. That's what the commandments are. Do this. Don't do this. People say, oh, the Bible's just a, just a big list of do's and don'ts. It's teaching us how to love How to rightly love one another. Don't do this to them, that's not love. Do this for them, that's love. That's what it's about. That's why the Bible says, well, love God and love others. That's basically all the commandments. We can't love without knowledge. We need personal Bible study, we need memorization. Have a class on that next week. We need sermons filled with sound biblical teaching. We need small groups. By the way, this is why I preach the way I preach. I know some of you don't like it, but this is why I do it. We have to have knowledge. We have to be filled with knowledge. That's how we abound in true love but it's not only knowledge is it it's not only knowledge he says with knowledge and all discernment all discernment what is discernment discernment is the spiritual insight that is absolutely needed for for life's daily bombardment of choices and decisions Choices and decisions and opportunities and obstacles. Every single day we're faced with them. Obstacles, opportunities, choices, decisions. We absolutely need spiritual discernment. So here's, here's what the, the practical aspect of it we need to be filled with God's Word to have the knowledge, and we need to be filled with God's Spirit. To have the discernment so what does that come down to church it comes down to that's why daily communion with the Lord is absolutely vital daily time in the word and daily time in prayer is paramount for daily living and daily loving so we see then the great need, we see the, the proper qualities. In verse 10, we see the great purpose. He says there in verse 10, so that. So why am I praying for this? Why is this the singular focus of my prayer? Because there's, there's a great purpose. So that you may approve what is excellent Abounding true love, informed by the Word and by the Spirit, has a twofold purpose. Number one, that we may approve what is excellent. That means when we're faced with the option between what's right and what's wrong, what's holy and what's sinful, what's giving and what's selfish, when we're faced with those options, or when we're faced with the options between what's really good and what's best, What we're justified to do and what we should do. What our flesh wants to do and what the Spirit would have us do. When we're faced with those options every single day, being able to approve what is excellent means that we would prefer what most honors the Lord in that situation. Approve what is excellent means that we would give preference to what pleases God. Not what pleases me, not what pleases you, what pleases God. So that, see, if you're, if you're informed by the scripture and by the spirit and you're abounding in love, then we're able to approve, what, to prefer what is excellent. And if we're doing that, here's the second fold purpose, if we're doing that, to so be pure and blameless. It's really two sides of the same coin, isn't it? If we're choosing what pleases God, we're simultaneously turning from what displeases God. And that's abounding true love. That's what Paul is referring to, by the way, before he gets to the great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. The last thing he says in 1 Corinthians 12, you remember what that is? He says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then he describes true love. A more excellent way. But note with me in verse 10 that all of this is pursued. It's all wrapped up in this package. Here's our motivation Of meeting Christ look at that with me so that you may approve what is excellent you may prefer what pleases God and when we do that we're gonna be pure and blameless because we're anticipating what the day of Christ we're anticipating meeting Christ Our Lord and Savior, that's what it's all with a view to. That's our motivation for abounding in love that's directed by knowledge and discernment. So Paul is praying here with a view to eternity, isn't he? He's not praying for just tomorrow. He's praying for tomorrow in light of eternity. He's praying with the eyes of his faith, faith upward. He bows his head in prayer and his faith looks up. And that's how Paul is praying that we might live with a view to eternity. Think about this, church. Think about this with me. Let us all consider this. If we lived every day like we were going to meet Jesus that night, we would be radically different people. How much different would last week be if you knew you would meet Jesus before you got to church this morning? Before I got to church this morning. There's a lot of things we wouldn't dare say that we said. There's a lot of things we would not dare do that we did. We, and we would definitely all of a sudden find the time to do the things we know we need to be doing. All of a sudden, these things we don't have time for, like prayer, serving one another, time in the word, fellowship, growing together, meeting together, assembling together, studying together. All of a sudden, serving one another, sharing the gospel. All of a sudden, we'd have time for all of that. And all of a sudden, all the things that take all of our time from that, we wouldn't have time for. What would you trade, church, if you were going to meet Jesus tonight? You see, one of those days, one of those days is going to be one of those nights That's what Paul is saying. So that you may approve what is excellent to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How do you want to meet him? If we keep our eyes on meeting Christ, that's the key, isn't it? That's the key of you to eternity. That's it. If we do that, church, we will abound in love. And all of that is to this chief end in verse 11. Last point, the chief end. So verse 11 says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now what, what's he talking about that? The love. The true informed love. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And here's the chief end. To the glory and praise of God. You were created, I was created to glorify God. That's our chief end, that's our purpose. That's why we exist. Follow me this chain of godliness that Paul has outlined for us in his prayer. This is how we praise for believers. So, knowledge and discernment teaches us how to abound in true love. Abounding in true love leads to wisdom and purity. And living holy lives brings glory to God. The great Westminster Catechism, the first question of that great tool of Christian living says this, What is the chief end of man? In other words, the catechism begins, the great catechism begins with this is the big point. What is the chief end of man? And the answer in the Westminster Catechism is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. May Paul's prayer for Philippi be our prayer for one another and our prayer for ourselves. Listen, it's fine to pray for one another to be healthy, but it's far more important that we pray for one another to be holy. You can be healthy And miss God parents this is how we pray for our children grandparents this is how we pray husbands and wives this is how we pray students this is how we pray let's pray father we would we would kind of miss the point if we didn't just stop for a moment And pray this way. And so, Father, I I pray, and as I'm praying, I I ask everyone in our church to, in our hearts, be praying this for one another. I, I pray for the believers gathered here. At, at Grassy Pond Church that, that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of your holy, powerful, eternal name. Father, would you speak to us loudly today? Transform us and change us into the likeness of your son. Not only teach us to pray, but teach us to love. Help us, Lord, in these next few moments. If we are without Christ, may we not leave this campus today without him. And wherever we are lacking in our Christian walk, and whatever the next step needs to be in our Christian faith, and we all have them Father, help us to, by faith and through obedience today, make those steps by your grace. Move us, fill us, and use us for your glory. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.